have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2, and you can uh, keep a bookmarker there throughout our time together uh, here in the month of December. As we're going to be looking at a series of messages called Lessons for Life from Luke chapter 2. I kind of like this. I uh, feel like I'm right here with you. You're within, you're within spitting distance now, so that's uh, good. Those in the front row, you know, there you go. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read the first seven verses today. Appreciate you being God's house. Trust to be an encouragement to you. Luke chapter 2, begin reading at verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the end. These are familiar words to many of us, a familiar passage of scripture. And if truth be known, we have really probably often romanticized the story that we just read together. We picture the scene like the one we might find in a Hallmark card. Where you see the manger and you see the infant there. You see everybody gathered around and they're in colorful, clean garments and clothing and They have an awe and wonder upon their face, and they're just there looking at the baby in this ideal situation. The scene seems kind of warm and cozy and comforting. And an ideal situation with no problems, no hardships. You know, the stuff that children's Christmas pageants are made of. They bring a smile or maybe even a tear as you watch the children perform. Plenty of camcorders and and cameras going off. You know, things that really make you feel good. Now, make no mistake. What we had before us, beloved, is an awesome scene. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. But sometimes we're just a bit off in understanding of how these things really took place. Just how it all went down that night, that cold night in Bethlehem. What Mary and Joseph really endured and went through to bring the Messiah into the world. Now, to make matters worse, if we're not careful, we may forget at times that these people were real. Mary and Joseph were real people with real emotions, real pains, real struggles, real hardships. This is not a fairy tale. This is not fiction. In fact, the story we read this morning is more real than the fact that we're seated here together today. It's a real story, a real account. What really happened, Jesus stepped into flesh as that babe in Bethlehem. Jesus stepped into flesh. Now, now, throughout our time together this month, we're going to be learning lessons for life from Luke chapter 2. And today we're going to learn lessons from Mary and Joseph. And what I'm going to do today is give you the lesson right up front. And then we're going to talk about it from this passage, okay? Here's today's lesson. It's not very long, not very difficult to hear or understand. Here it is. You ready? Trust God in the difficulties of life. Trust God in the difficulties of life. Now, I'm talking to believers today. I'm talking to those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
Those of you who know a time sometime past your life, you realized you were a sinner, realized you were lost, the Holy Spirit convicted you, you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm speaking to you today. Now, if you're here today, you say, you know what? I don't know Jesus. Well, friend, I've got great news. That's why he came, that you might know him. He came and he lived a sinless, perfect life. He voluntarily died on the cross. He shed his blood. He was buried. He rose again that you might have eternal life. And so I say to you today, friend, if you don't know Jesus during this Christmas season, receive the greatest gift that's ever been given. The Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I encourage you to trust him and do it today. Now, for those of us who know him, trust God in the difficulties of life. Do you have any difficulties? Yeah, we all have difficulties. Everybody does. It might be a certain subject in school, young people, that you just can't get no matter how hard you work on it. No matter how hard you try, you try and you study. It just sounds like a mental block for you. For some, it might be that car that will not start, that will not function correctly. For others, it might be that bank account that seems to have a leak somewhere. You just can't figure out where that leak is. For others, it might be a relationship that's not exactly going the way that you hoped it would, you dreamed it would, you planned on it going that way, but it's going south. It might be a doctor's report that came back and the news is not what you prayed for, it's not what you wanted, it's not what you desired. On and on and on we could go, but we better not. You know what difficulties you have. You know what hardships you're experiencing. Whatever it is, I want to say today, trust God in it. Trust God in it. Now, Mary and Joseph had some difficulties. They had some struggles. Although we didn't read about it in this passage this morning, we know at this point they've already dealt with the great struggle, the great fact that Mary, a virgin, is pregnant. Mary, a virgin, is pregnant. She's with child by the Holy Spirit. The child in her womb is Jesus. She had never known a man. She'd never had sexual relations, yet she is pregnant. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 1. Imagine the hardship of just that. The wagging tongues and the whispering that went on. Even Joseph had trouble with this until the Lord came and revealed to him exactly what's going on. So they had that great difficulty even before we get to this passage today. They were making wedding plans. They were dreaming of their lives together. But God graced them in allowing them to bring forth the Messiah. Now, fast forward from that to our passage today. And I want to show you some of the difficulties they encountered. Okay, difficulty number one. Let's look at what it says. And it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be what should be taxed. Difficulty number one, taxes. Can I get a witness? (laughs) I thought that would speak to all of us where we live. Now, your version may say taxes or if you're reading a different version, it may say something like this today to be enrolled or to be registered or to take part in a census. All of those are correct because, you see, what they were doing is they were going to be registered for taxation purposes. They were going to take part in a census for taxation purposes. And so they had to travel to go and to take part in this registration or this census or this enrollment that they might be taxed. Now, that makes them very real, doesn't it? That takes away all the facade. They were real people. We understand that. Difficulty number one, taxes. Difficulty number two, notice verse five, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Difficulty number two, traveling with a very pregnant woman. Difficulty number two. Now, I kind of worded that like a man, didn't 
traveling with a very pregnant woman because really, ladies know for sure, the real difficulty was marriage, wasn't it? I should have said it this way. I should have worded it traveling as a very pregnant woman. Now remember, don't modernize this story. Don't put it in America in 2009. They didn't go jump in the SUV or the sports coupe and cruise over to Bethlehem. They probably walked. Perhaps maybe she might have had a a, a donkey or something to ride. But you know what? The distance they traveled was between 70 to 80 miles, either on foot or riding on a very uncomfortable ride, to say the least. And and John MacArthur says that this 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 track of more than 70 miles was through mountainous terrain. Now, think about that. Traveling as a very pregnant woman, this great difficulty to do what? To take part in a census. So they can tax you. Difficulty number three. Look at verse seven. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Difficulty number three was the no vacancy sign. The no vacancy sign. There was no room for them in the end. Now, what kind of end we're thinking about here? We're not sure. One scholar said an end there in the Greek could have been a guest room in a house Or any place of lodging. This Greek word has a wider range of meanings than the one which refers specifically to an inn for travelers. So it may have been a guest house. It may have been an inn. It may have been some sort of place of lodging, obviously. But whenever they got there, there was no room for them. There was no room for them. Do you realize, beloved, that Jesus met rejection at the beginning and the end of his earthly life? When he came as a babe, they rejected him. No room. And at the very end, they crucified him. He met rejection at the beginning and the end. No vacancy. No room. Have you ever stayed in a really bad motel? Yeah. We have too. Years ago we were traveling and we were trying to be frugal or economical or cheap, whatever you want to call it. We picked up one of those little traveler's books that you find at like the rest areas or whatever. You know the ones that have all the coupons in them. And we found a coupon, I think it was for twenty four ninety five a night. Man, what a deal. We got there, we checked in. You know what? It was quite a place. It was the height of luxury. It was the height of comfort, modern technology, and convenience in 1966. <laughs> I mean, it had green, thick shag carpet. And it even had a remote control built right into the wall next to the bed. It was quite a place. You know, I made a mistake, but you know, that motel was better than no motel. It was better than being stranded. It was better than sleeping outdoors. Here's the king of glory, God in the flesh, and there's not even a room for him. A true difficulty. But I want to show you another difficulty here today, and that's this. Birthing a baby in a cave. Birthing a baby in a cave. Look at verses 6 and 7. And so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, as as Constable said, there is a source. uh, This is the source of the notion that Christ was born in a stable, something nowhere stated in Scripture. Ancient tradition held that he was born in a cave, possibly one used as a shelter for animals. But no actual description of the location is given. Malkatch says this, a manger in the Greek, listen, is a feeding trough carved out in the wall of a cave. 
Around Bethlehem, the hillsides are dotted with caves, many of which still have mangers. Manger became a word that encompassed both the feeding trough and the cave itself. So whether it was a cave or a stable or wherever it was or just a lean-to, it was certainly not a place where you want to give birth to your baby. How do you think Joseph felt as a husband? When he looked there at his wife in this, we'll just call it a cave since we're not sure, but then this cave giving forth this child. Surely he desired to provide something better for his wife and for baby Jesus. Surely it was a very great difficulty. How must Mary have felt? Surely she would have loved to have had her mother and maybe some other family members present at such a time as this. In fact, it seems as we read this that they were all alone. Notice verse 7. And she brought her forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Many of the scholars I read this week believe that she literally birthed the baby, that she literally wrapped this baby in these swaddling clothes to keep his limbs straight as they did back in those times. Imagine that. Imagine the filth of such a place. Have you ever spent much time around animals and where animals live? I mean, think about that. The smells, the dirt, the grime, the manure. And you're bringing forth a newborn infant into this. What about the cold? How cold must it have been to be in a cave giving birth to a baby? You know, as you start thinking about it, it doesn't look much like a Hallmark card, doesn't it? It doesn't look like the Christmas pageant we know it to be. Do you see how much the Lord Jesus humbled himself? Not just in becoming flesh and living as the God man, a man among men, but being born in such conditions, conditions that you and I would be appalled at ever considering bringing our child into this world. Yet Jesus humbled himself. Difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. But what lesson are we learning today? Trust God in the difficulties of life. And you say, preacher, where do you see that in this passage? Let's go back and read again. Look at verse four. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea and to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Drop down, if you would, to verse six. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, listen to this Old Testament verse. Are you ready? Those of you in Sunday school, you heard it this morning. Micah chapter five, verse two. But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me. That is to be a ruler in Israel whose going forth had been from of old, from everlasting. Do you see it, beloved? While they were there, while they were in Bethlehem. Do you see it, beloved? The trip for this registration for taxation purposes was more than just a human decree, more than just hardship. It was God working to fulfill prophecy. God moved this Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus, to the very place he prophesied hundreds of years before that the Messiah would come forth. Behind all the difficulties, behind all the hardships, God had a plan and a purpose. Warren Wiersbe said, when Mary said in Luke, be it unto me according to thy word, it meant that from then on her life would be a part of the fulfillment of prophecy. 
God had promised that the Savior would be a human, not an angel, a Jew, not a Gentile. He would be from the tribe of Judah, the family of David, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, the city of David. Micah 5, 2. He said all of this occurred just as the scripture said. And Caesar unknowingly played an important part. A.T. Pearson used to say history is his story. And President James A. Garfield called history, I quote, the unrolled scroll of prophecy, end quote. He says, if God's word controls our lives, then the events of history only help us fulfill the will of God. Jeremiah says, I am watching over my word to perform it, promises the Lord. Think about it. Hundreds of years before the Lord says, listen, this ruler, this one of old, the Messiah is going to come and be born in Bethlehem. Now, it is possible that Mary and Joseph knew that prophecy. And if they did, in fact, know that prophecy, it certainly would have been an encouragement to them, don't you think, to know perhaps this is the reason behind what's going on. But I know what you're thinking today. What about me? What about my situation? What about my difficulties? I mean, understand their difficulties, understand what God was doing. But what about my problems? What about my difficulties? Well, let me share some scripture with, with you today. Romans chapter eight, as you've heard me say often, but I want you to hear it again today. Romans eight, twenty eight, twenty nine. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. To do what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, Jesus is working to make us. God is working to make us more like Jesus. Day in and day out. Using all things. The good things. The bad things. Weaving them together. How about this one? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the faults I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. How about Philippians 4.19? You know we had to get Philippians in there somewhere, right? Philippians 4.19, we've been studying it for so long. But my God shall supply your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How about 1 Thessalonians 5.18? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I say today, brethren, I say today, sisters, trust God in the difficulties of life. He's not forsaken you. He's not left you. He's there. We're reminded of this even every time we handle a coin or a bill. What does it say? In God we what? We trust. Hold that it were true. In God we trust. Trust God in the difficulties of life. When life gets hard, not if life gets hard, because life does get hard. All of us face things in our lives we'd never dream of or plan on doing. But when life gets hard, don't turn from God. Turn to him. Trust him. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep serving. Trust that he's in charge. Trust that he's in control. Trust that he has everything working out in his good time. He's not startled at your situation. He's not taken off guard. He's not surprised at what has happened to you. Everything, listen, everything that comes in your life is filtered through his loving hands. When you go back and read the story of Job, by the way, if you think you're having a bad week, go back and read the book of Job. It'll make you feel a whole lot better. But when you read the story of Job, what do we find there? That before Satan could touch Job, he had to have what? God's permission. And God put limits on him. 
You can go this far, no further. You can go this far, no further. Everything that comes in your life is filtered through his loving hands. A ten-year-old girl was out with a group of family and friends. And they were going out looking at the Christmas light displays at various locations throughout the city. They stopped at one church and they got out to look a little bit closer at the beautifully done nativity scene that was there at that church. The little girl's grandmother said, isn't that beautiful? Look at all the animals, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. Yes, Grandma replied, the little girl. It's really nice. But she said, there's only one thing that bothers me. Isn't baby Jesus ever going to grow up? He's the same size he was last year. As I read that, I thought about this. What about in your life, friend? Is he the same size he was last year? Or are you growing in your faith and seeing him more and more of just how awesome and how big he really is? You see, he's no longer in that manger. He's no longer on that cross. And praise be to God, he's no longer in that grave. He arose victorious. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's at the right hand of God making intercession for us. And the scripture says he's coming again to give us and receive us unto himself. And I say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Trust him. Grow in your faith to see just how great he is. He is God. He has all things under control. He's working and molding and shaping your life. Just as he was in charge of Mary and Joseph, as he was working, taking them through what we would consider difficulties, uh, taxes and no place to stay and traveling, being pregnant and all these various things. God had a purpose behind it. He was fulfilling prophecy. He was bringing Messiah into this world that he might live and that he might die, that he might rise again for you and for me. And so I say to you, take this lesson with you. I don't know what you're going through, all of you, friend. I don't know what you're going to face. I don't know what I'm going to face, even this week or even today. But I know this, my God is faithful. I know I can trust him. I know I can rest on him. I know he'll never fail me, never leave me, never forsake me. I've often failed him. I've often been unfaithful to him. But he's never failed me. Friend, trust God in the difficulties of life. Trust Him. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We worship and adore You. We want to magnify the Lord Jesus in this place. Help us, Lord, with the eyes of faith to see Him for just how great He is. Father, I know that seated before me today are folks who are going through all kinds of hardships and difficulties. And Lord, I pray that you would come to their hearts today and encourage them. Help them to rest on you and trust you knowing that you're working behind the scenes. You're in control and you're working all things out together for good. They're good and your glory. Father, I pray in these closing moments, if anybody here does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, they'll come here during this invitation and talk with someone and see the scripture, what it says for itself. And they would trust Jesus. 
Lord, I pray during this invitation that believers' hearts have been touched. Maybe there's some burdens, some things. They need to come today and kneel and leave at this altar and say, Lord, I trust you. I give these things to you. Have your will accomplished, I pray, in this closing time. In Jesus' name, amen.